It's time for Tycoons of Small Biz, spotlighting the true backbone of the American economy, the true tycoons of business in America, the owners, founders, and CEOs of small businesses. The show's hosts, Austin Peterson and Landon Mance, are registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker-dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. The views expressed by your hosts, Austin and Landon, are not necessarily the views of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Let's lean in as Austin and Landon connect with this week's Tycoons. Good afternoon, Tycoons, and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. I'm your host, Austin Peterson, joined as always by my co-host, Landon Mance. And if today is the first time that you're listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, let me just explain real quick what we do and why we do it. Tycoons of Small Biz is a radio show and podcast that's put together for small business owners, privately held business owners throughout the country, as well as nonprofit organizations. The show is here to prop those organizations up, get the word out about them, and make sure that we as Americans support them because they truly are the backbone of the American economy. With that said, today our guest is Anthony Doc Amin. Anthony, he goes by Doc, so we're going to call him Doc. He's the founder and CEO of Wings for Warriors Foundation and co-founder and CEO of Taylor & Lawrence. Doc, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks guys for having me so much. Appreciate it. Yeah, we're excited to have you in here. And, uh, you know, Landon and I, neither of us have been in the military, but we have ties to the military. So we have great respect for veterans. And we're excited to talk to you a little bit about that. But before we jump into, you know, what it is that you do professionally in the different organizations, we'd like to have you step back and tell us a little bit about you personally. Tell us your story. Tell us where you grew up. Tell us, you know, a little bit about your family. What, what uh, matters most to you? Absolutely. Again, thanks for having me. So I grew up here in Phoenix. Uh, my family moved from San Antonio in 1991. My wife's family moved from Seattle, Washington in 91. So I've known her a long time. Uh, I haven't been with her that long. We were raised in Ahwatukee here in Phoenix, a little suburb community and um, a lot of cookie cutter homes and uh, just very family oriented. And um, when my wife and I connected years later and started dating and having a family in, of our own, we wanted to be in Ahwatukee. And so uh, I was a wild, a wild card in high school, uh, definitely the class clown. And uh, I want to say I was the ladies' man. We can ask my wife later. But yeah, it was just kind of, uh, you know, I was the wild card and um, didn't really know where I was going to go. I don't think my teachers or, or friends or other students, you know, um, in school knew where I was going to go. But here I am and I'm here to tell my story. Thanks for having me. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I definitely uh, connect with the class clown portion of things. So I, I was a, I was a decent student, but uh, I, I enjoy having fun. And I'm sure you'll see some of that come out here in, in the next little bit throughout this interview. But, you know, so I mentioned the, the military background, and we know that you're a veteran and, and the name Doc or the nickname Doc comes from you being a medic in, in the Navy. So tell us, you know, what prompted you to join the Navy? Great question. So uh, I think we all know where we were uh, the morning of September 11, 2001. I was actually uh, in between jobs and uh, community college wasn't going well for me. I was back at home living with mom and dad and my mom woke me up just before the second plane hit that second tower. It was later that evening uh, connecting with friends over the phone and uh, just kind of checking on some of my uh, my friends and relatives as well as that, that lived in New York City and something inside of me just, I felt compelled to, to join the service. And uh, it was actually one year later uh, that I actually... I was a part of a delayed entry program with the United States Navy after I met at a recruiting office. And um, one year to the date later, I swore into oath September 11, 2002. From then on, you know, Doc was born. 
Yeah, no, I think that I think that's awesome, especially the fact that you were sworn in one year later on September 11th. You know, I think if we went back and looked at the statistics, it wouldn't surprise any of us to see that there was probably an increase in, um, you know, signing up to be in the military. What, what's the word I'm looking for? Enlisting. Enrollment. Yeah, en- oh, enlisting in in, in, uh, in 2001 after September 11th. And, you know, it, it's one of those moments for all of us, right? So I wasn't in a place to enlist at that time, but it's one of those moments because I, I was married and had, had a kid at that point. But it's one of those moments that in life where you just remember exactly where you were when you first heard about it, right? And I was driving to work at the time, listening to just a morning show and they started reporting about it and kind of talking about it. It's one of these, you know, comedy make, you know, have fun morning shows that's trying to wake me up. We lived in Southern California at the time and it was, you know, 6 a.m. And uh, and they were trying to reconcile what had gone on and trying to figure it out. And then the whole rest of the day, you know, I called my wife, woke her up. Our son was 18 months old at the time. And just the rest of the day, I, I have very vivid memories of watching the coverage and just, you know, understanding what was going on and the first time in my lifetime where I've been alive, where we've been attacked on our soil. And it, it's just, it's one of those things that you just, it, it means so much to every American. And, uh, and the fact that you enlisted and got involved, you know, your own way at, at that point, hats off to you. Well, thank you. And uh, I just remember how eerily quiet the nation was on or around that, that time. It's just so quiet. And an observation I think that all of us made too was that we really came together as a country. I mean, it's it it stinks or sucks, yeah, whatever I can say. <laughs> I said <laughs> this them is both. internet radio. You can say whatever you want. I said them both, but it's it's <laughs> it stinks and sucks combined that it took something like that to get our country together. But um, it was really just a an interesting time to be an American. There's no doubt. Yeah. And, and, you know, not to get political in any way, but I, you know, I think 20 years later now to kind of look back and think, gosh, we sh- we came to- together so closely then and kind of where the country is today, where there's so much divisiveness and, you know, everybody's on one side or the other. There is kind of almost no middle now, I, I think is is difficult, uh, especially for somebody who who went out and served this country after we were attacked that way. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think a lot of the veteran community um, quietly, because you don't want to make anyone upset anymore, right? You have to be politically correct. But I think a lot of veterans are biting their tongue and and unfortunately being silent about the way they actually feel. But there are some uh, solid veteran connections that I've made over the years and uh, just close friends, uh, contacts that I've kept over the years. And uh, yeah, we're a little, we're, we're brokenhearted about it, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's I think it's probably difficult to I I know it's difficult to watch for me, uh, and I'm sure it's more difficult to watch for somebody who's who's served. And I, I have a brother that's a year younger than me. Literally, he's 12 months and 12 days younger than me. Um, and he was he was a marine, and he had a medical discharge, and so he he was never deployed, never you know served overseas. But his license plate says E1 forever, right? Because that was his um, whatever it's called the. His rank? Yeah, his rank or, you know, I feel like there's like a, a level of pay or whatever that's that's tied to that E1 or whatever. But yeah, his the license plate on his truck says E1 forever. And and once a Marine, always a Marine. He's he's definitely that for life, even though he unfortunately had to be medically discharged. Well, Landon, um, let's talk to him a little bit about uh, why he chose to be a medic. What do you think? Yeah, actually, Doc, I, I wanted just to kind of, uh, I mean, this this can be a rhetorical 
question, but I just was thinking about it as you were sharing with us what uh, motivated you to to join. And I just am curious what your thoughts are. You know, I, I think during that time there was a lot of young men and women, uh, you know, around um, that age that you might consider, you know, enlisting in the armed services that had similar thoughts to you, right? Because we were, you know, we were mad, we were angry, we were scared, we were whatever we were experiencing. But what do you think the difference is between people like me in Austin, maybe that that felt that, and people like you that felt that and actually, you know, took action and and, and joined and, and committed to, to doing that? I mean, what what, what do you think the difference is with people like us? That's a great question. I, what came to mind when you were asking the question, I kind of saw it unraveling slowly. And, and the light bulb in my head went off was I needed direction in my life. I needed guidance, discipline, uh, direction. I needed my head on a swivel. And it, I wasn't. I didn't have any of that. I was all over the place. Um, and I think because I was the wild card, kind of just, how do I explain this? I was going every which way because I didn't know which way to go. And I think that I was hanging with a crowd that was fun to be around, right? But fun doesn't get, fun doesn't pay the bills. Um, I I was partying. I was dabbling in drugs and alcohol at an early age, misdemeanors, you know, and um, that's just my story and I own it. And in order to grow as a young man into a man, I had to make a decision for myself. And I think what ha- helped prompt that was the attacks on our American soil. I was raised by an, an amazing, uh, you know, my, my parents are both amazing. They're from Texas, you know, they're conservatives. And that's how I was raised. And uh, there's a song that comes to mind. There's, there was, two, uh, it was talking about a Bible and a belt. And the Bible obviously was King James and the belt uh, had the name of his daddy on it. But that just reminds me of how I was raised, right? And then when we moved to Phoenix, Arizona, the wild card that I was, um, I was just, I wasn't going the right way. And I think that what helped prompt me that uh, in the right direction was joining the armed services. Yeah, very cool. Well, whatever the case may be, we we thank you for uh, your service. And uh, my wife and I, I've got one-year-old twins. They just turned one. And a stepson who's 18 as well. He's living with his dad currently. But uh, we uh, we we pray for you guys uh, every single night, and uh, just thank you guys for uh, for what you do. Thank you. And congratulations. So tell us, Doc. I'm sorry. Oh, I just say congratulations on the little ones. Oh yeah, thanks, <laughs> Doc. So um, you were you were a medic, right, in the Navy? Can you talk to us just a little bit about? how that came about and kind of what your experience was, you know, during your time when you were enlisted. Sure. And another light bulb that went off as your, your previous question uh, was kind of unraveling was that what, what, what sparked me to, to become a medic or a hospital corpsman. I wasn't actually fighting for my country, the way you kind of put it in uh, for the first two years, I was actually a deck seaman. So I was, I was on the, on the boat, fixing the boat. Uh, when you, when you go into port, you throw the ropes over to the side and uh, you you tie the whole of the ship to the side of the port, and when you're, they say haze gray underway. Haze gray is the color of the paint that they they paint the whole of the ship. And so uh, when we're when we're let's say uh, harbored 
and we needed to 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 do some repairs on the ship. I was the guy in the little boat painting the ship. And I was also blessed to say that when I was a deck seaman, one of the cooler parts of the story actually was um, when I was on the USS Dubuque LPD-8 in San Diego, when we took a group of Marines from Camp Pendleton over to Iraq for them to do their thing as an artillery Marine unit uh, on Iraqi soil, we were doing figure eights in the North Arabian Sea and Persian Gulf. And if you guys remember uh, Private Jessica Lynch, uh, we were actually the the helo pads, so to speak, for the decoy helicopter in that mission. So it's pretty cool to say that my ship allowed the saving and the rescuing of Private Jessica Lynch. And we also had a couple hundred enemies of war, excuse me, prisoners of war, and that were on our well deck. And I was standing watch over those guys and steered the ship in wartime, which is pretty cool, at night. But again, I wasn't fighting for my country. And the reason why I joined because of September 11th was to fight for my country. And so uh, there was an opportunity to retake your ASVAB placement test. And I did that. I scored so well so that they wanted to offer me either military policeman or hospital corpsman. Initially, I thought, I want to be an MP. I think that that just sounded cool. They did a background <laughs> check. Nope, sorry, dude, you're going to be a hospital corpsman. And that's, that's <laughs> honest to God, the story right there. That's hilarious. Well, I mean, I, I, I mentioned, you know, the fact that I had an 18-month-old son, which is why I think at that point I wouldn't have, have uh, you know, considered enlisting. All we have to do is look at Landon to know that his face is why he wouldn't consider enlisting. Like he doesn't want to put that face through anything that puts it, you know, at risk. So Uh we know the answer for Landon. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Number, number one received. (laughs) You knew it was coming. I, I did. Yeah. So, Doc, I'm 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 curious. I I mean, I think it'd be cool for you to just kind of tell us a little bit more about um about the role that you kind of moved into and maybe just a you know some some quick experiences and then we'll kind of uh we'll talk to you a little bit about what that what led what that led to kind of as far as your achievements and the you know in, in your time in the Navy. Sure. So when I became a corpsman, it was it was an amazing opportunity. I got to work out of um, hospitals, clinics, predominantly the emergency room in, in Navy Medical Center, Portsmouth, Virginia. I learned from some some of the Navy's finest Navy medicine physicians, nurses, nurse practitioners, and LPNs and corpsmen. And I just, I love that job. Every I was working the graveyards for about two and a half years uh, out of the emergency room. So I was working the night shift and you never knew what you were going to get. My very first patient was a seeking patient. So seeking meaning um, she had some opioid addictions. And so she would go and say she wasn't feeling good so she can get the pain meds that she was seeking, right? And that's why they call them seekers. And so uh, my very first patient was in room one. I'll never forget it. And she had HIV. Um, she had AIDS or HIV. And, and I had to draw blood, blood work on her. Now, as a corpsman, I'm a professional. Uh, I'm going to wear gloves, no worries. But that's those thoughts still go through your head. My very first patient outside of training that I drew blood from was a patient that had HIV and AIDS. And and so that was a wake up call, no doubt. And, um, but just all the experiences in the emergency room. I mean, unfortunately there was, there was babies that passed away, grown men crying because of their, uh, abdominal pain from, uh, an appendix rupture. I mean, just name something. There was, uh, gunshot wounds, there was stab wounds, there was people that had uh, n- really bad pneumonia. In fact, well, I can't say the patients because it's breaking the patient privacy stuff, but one of the 
there, there's a, uh, a Navy diver, without saying his name, there's a Navy diver that's very famous. And uh, he was my patient several times in the ER. And he remembered us all by name. And it was just an amazing experience. And the love that was felt through not only the physicians, down to the nurses, down to the corpsmen, we, we just experienced just gratitude for one another. And it was all about teamwork. So that was, that was some of that. And just the training thereafter, I remember um, I did a year in women's health. So that was actually kind of interesting because fast forward, I hated it then, but fast forwarding into fatherhood, it allowed me to appreciate babies and it allowed me to hold a baby in a way that I probably wouldn't have been able to if it wasn't for the training received. So, Right. So Doc, you've got a very uh, unique perspective when it comes to healthcare and being, you know, in, in the Navy, because obviously you just shared with us one side of that perspective, but you have a perspective as a, as a patient, right. As well as a wounded combat, you know, medic. So talk to us a little bit about that, would you? Absolutely. So, you know, fast forwarding through a lot of training, a lot of, you know, patient provider visits as a corpsman, Back in that one-year rotation in women's health, they actually were looking for uh, for Navy corps, uh, for Navy corpsmen between the ages of 25 and 35 that wanted to volunteer and go to Iraq or Afghanistan. And I was quick to volunteer and be on that list because let's backpedal a bit. I wanted to fight for my country, and so this was giving me the opportunity to be a corpsman for a Marine unit on the battlefield and actually fight for my country. And so I signed up, and that's what I ended up becoming was a Fleet Marine Force FMF. Navy corpsman, and uh, ended up deploying with 2nd Battalion, 7th Marines, 1st Marine Division. They were deploying out to Afghanistan to fight the Taliban back in uh, 2008. So April of 08, we pushed out to Kandahar. Uh, we spent a good you know month reading the Bible, cleaning our guns, and preparing for the attacks that were uh, going to be literally within the next couple of weeks. We pushed out to Nauzad, Helmand Province, Afghanistan. Now, if you remember back in like 08, 09, Helmand Province was definitely being reinforced by the Taliban insurgents at that time. And so it was all over CNN, all over Fox News. And um, that's, that's where I was being deployed. Now, what's interesting is uh, July 21st, 2008, uh, to your, just to get back to your point, was my job was to just patch guys up. My, my job, sure, I had a rifle, a machine gun. Sure, I had a knife, uh, a bayonet if I needed to fix it. But my job was solely to, to, to render medical attention to wounded Marines sailors. If they got shot, shrapnel, blown up, I was their doc. My job was to run across the battlefield and give them the medical treatment that they deserved and required. And so July 21st, 2008, yeah, this is my story. I own it. We, we were going against the Taliban, and um, there was stuff happening all around us that morning. The Air Force were Marines. They were going to be dropping a 500-pound bomb. And when they did on the insurgents, that, that ripple effect, that shockwave went right past us. Uh, Edwin Daniel, was a, he was another hospital corpsman that went through a lot of training with me. He was across the battlefield, and uh, he needed to pull a slitter. One of our Marines sat on an IED, wasn't doing well, wasn't expected to live. But our job was to get him, keep him alive long enough for the Kazavak to pick him up so that they can medically treat him the way that they could off of the battlefield because they have the, the resources that we didn't. Because um, you're very limited on the battlefield with resources. With that being said, I was one out of like 100 guys that had a polis litter in my medical bag. And so they called me over the radio. We took a few guys with us, including a minesweeper in front of me, and we just started booking it. After that shockwave cleared, we were told to go, go, go. We started running across the battlefield. 
for me, medically speaking, we weren't going fast enough. So I ended up going around the minesweeper, started booking it, and boom. I stepped on an IED with my left foot. The blast went kind of up and to the right, took my right, uh, nearly took my right leg. My right leg was a wet noodle between the ankle and the kneecap. My left foot was mangled. The boot was hanging a little bit crooked and further than it needed to. So I knew I lost my left foot. And I just remembered the minesweeper was a combat Marine Corps engineer and he was dragging me by my flak jacket behind, you know, where the crater was just created by the bomb. And in that very moment, I thought he's going to drag me over another bomb. Cannot describe what that feels like. And I tell people too, I was closer to God on the battlefield than I've probably ever been in my entire life because you have to be. I don't know where to go from there. I can keep going. I'm sorry. I kind of get caught up in it. So if you have any other questions, I'm happy to answer. But yeah, to fast forward through the combat craziness and the chaos, uh, I ended up waking up in a bastion air station, uh, finding out that, you know, waking up and seeing my leg, my stump wrapped in gauze, my right legs hanging on chains, you know, and they're trying to give me, uh, get my pain, me- uh, pain under control with pain medication and whatnot. And I remember one of our battalion commanders came up and with tears in his eyes telling me that uh, Ivan Wilson uh, passed away next to me on the, on the Kazabag. Because the first thing I asked when I woke up wasn't, hey, what happened to my leg? Or, hey, wh- where am I? The first thing on my mind was the Marine I was running to save. And I said, hey, how's Ivan doing? And they said he didn't make it. So when I came home, it took about a week in Germany, and then they flew me stateside. Uh, the, the week in Germany was to mainly get my pain under control. Uh, after that, I had about 34 surgeries, the majority of which, I think 20 plus on my right leg to save it from amputation. And uh, my left stump had a lot of revisions. And I had just so many infections over the years that I ended up having surgery fatigue from having so many surgeries. But when all that was done, the federal government denied me my federal health care and financial benefits. And so, as you can imagine, being the hothead with PTSD, survivor's guilt, my guys are still out there getting shot at, mortared, and attacked every day by the Taliban. Here I am, stateside, air-conditioned, even though, sure, I have my own, my new battles ahead of me. But I was, I was wrongfully denied my benefits from the federal government that I just lost a limb for. Uh, that deployment, we lost 19 Marines, one sailor, and one interpreter. And then years later, we lost an additional 30 men uh, mainly Marines to, uh, to PTSD-related suicide. So I was pretty pissed off and hot-headed about not being given what I was what I was fighting for the whole time. Yeah, and I think I think rightfully so. That's a that's a tough pill to swallow for sure. And you know what you went through is something that I can only imagine, right? I mean, I've I've never been on a battlefield. The closest that I can even come is seeing movies like Saving Private Ryan and different things like that. That kind of help you feel it a little bit or try to experience it. But I, I know it's nothing like what you actually went through. But I think what we did just fine, though, is what led you to where you are today, right? I mean, I think that you've just kind of alluded to where Wings for Warriors came from, now Wings for Warriors Foundation, and probably why you have Taylor and Lawrence as well. So let, let's talk about about both of those. Start with Wings for Warriors Foundation, how you got your start and, and where you are today. And then we'll we'll jump over to Taylor and Lawrence I appreciate as well. that. Um, so yeah, so seeing healthcare on both sides of the spectrum, like, like he said. So 34 surgeries, being wrongfully denied. And then once I was given the benefits, getting that back pay from the federal government that I was wrongfully denied from, I thought, wow, I can, I can help other guys secure their benefits. And so in physical therapy, I'm doing like the arm bike 
or getting stretched by a physical therapist and the guy to my left or the gal to my right would say, hey, that's the benefits guy. At that point, when, when you're being labeled a nickname like the benefits guy from other wounded warriors, other disabled veterans from combat, that there was something there and it kind of sparked a fire within. So I ended up founding Wings for Warriors, a nonprofit organization that was serving the wounded and disabled community for eight years strong, basically providing benefits counseling and resources so that they don't get wrongfully denied themselves. And so to date, Wings for Warriors helped a little over 5,000 veterans across the country, along with their caregivers and military families, with travel assistance as well. Uh, my mom and dad had to fly and be by my bedside for all those surgeries, and uh, they had to pay out of their own pocket for those flights. And so Wings for Warriors helped fund travel for uh, family members to visit their healing heroes and helping those healing heroes uh, receive their benefits. Should I go into Taylor and Lawrence? Sure, yeah. So Edwin Daniel, Doc Daniel, that corpsman that was across the battlefield on July 21st, 2008, that was working on Ivan Wilson, the Marine that didn't make it home alive. He ended up serving on the board of directors with Wings for Warriors about halfway into that eight-year mark. And he and I uh, helped receive some, we ended up receiving a couple of sponsors. And those cons- those sponsors were actually government contractors, subcontractors for the U.S. government. And Edwin's a really smart guy, and he's like, hey, we could probably do this on our, on our own. And so Edwin and I uh, co-founded Taylor & Lawrence, which is a healthcare executive consulting business where it's really just Edwin, myself, and a handful of interns right now. And it's, 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 just, it's a healthcare startup. It's a lot of fun, and we're basically finding the nooks and crannies within the healthcare systems, uh, mainly that of the VA and uh, military healthcare side of the house, and finding out how we can increase their quality by saving costs and finding contracts that allow that to happen. It's been an amazing ride. And um, on or around the eight-year itch with Wings for Warriors, I wanted to do something more and bigger than just benefits and travel. And so I ended up um, taking a break for about a year, uh, got my degree in healthcare management, started growing Taylor and Lawrence. And it was on or around that time I decided to turn Wings for Warriors into an actual foundation where we're no, we're no longer offering direct services, but we're going to help other organizations that do have kick-butt programs and services. And so that's what we're doing right now, and it's awesome. Awesome. So the main focus now is fundraising for these other organizations and, and probably connecting people with the right organization to get done what they need done? Absolutely. So we're finding funding and fueling two, uh, four organizations within a two-year period. So right now we've got Reboot Recovery, America's Mighty Warriors, Heroes and Horses, and, uh, and we've also got Waypoint Vets. And each of these four organizations have different types of services and programs. Faith-based trauma, equine therapy, groundwork therapy. We've got, um, there's a lot of spiritual aspects and components to what we're doing. Hyperbaric uh, oxygen treatment for PTSD, mental health. And they're not just helping veterans, but first responders as well. And that was something during the break, I realized that these first responders are wearing uniforms as well. They're serving and sacrificing just as much as we are, if not sometimes more. And they're here, they're here keeping our family safe at home while we're overseas doing what we need to do to keep all of you guys safe, right? So I just thought, you know what? I'm a patriot. People wearing uniforms are patriots. And, and we as at Wings for Warriors want to help all uniform patriots now. And so in our 10th year, we just want to help as many people as we can. And then two years from now, we'll pick a whole nother uh, gamut of organizations and services. And we're just going to keep it going. Yeah, that's awesome. So I think this is an opportunity for us to kind of reach out to our audience and and let them know that we 
we want to try to help in any way that we can. Uh, after the show, we'll put some social media posts out and, and we send out a newsletter and do different things. But this is our, our plea to the listeners. What we would like to do is get 100 people to donate $100 to the organization, which gets us to a $10,000 gift or, or a donation to Wings for Warriors Foundation. So after the show, watch for social media posts. We'll get some, some word out there and we'll count on you to give us a link and so forth on where they should be going to make those donations possible. But I think it's the least that any of us can do to get, uh, to get the word out and to raise some money for such a great organization. Thank you so much. Appreciate everybody. And Landon's good for 26 cents, probably at least. (laughs) (laughs) I will will pledge uh, a a minimum of $100. I'll tell you that right now, but I I think I can, I think I can, there's, there's some wiggle room there. So we'll try to, we'll try to up that as much as we can, but I I will commit to a hundred bucks. Yeah, I'm with you a hundred percent. Landon and I have already talked about it ahead of ahead of time, and we've talked about, you know, the love that we have for veterans, and we we try to serve nonprofits any way that we can with our show and and highlight them as well and raise money for them. But this is our first go at really putting everything together and saying let's let's get our audience together, our past guests, any anybody that we know from our client base and so forth to just get some money into an organization that's important like this. Thank you, everybody. I I mean it. it this is how organizations like Wings for Warriors Foundations grow and sustain and, and help people. Uh, a lot of people ask, like, how can we help? Sure, financial contributions, right? But there's people that have skill sets that I don't, that our board of directors don't, that our volunteers don't. There's people out there that have, maybe they're retired and they have time to donate. Maybe they have a skill set that they can donate. Or maybe they just are super duper connected and they want to just get some of their contacts to come and, and pour into the organization. So again, thank you so much for having me and, and for kind of plugging what we do. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, and you and I should connect offline as well with the, and when you said time to donate, my, my wife and I work with an organization called Just Serve, where we connect nonprofit organizations that need things done or items donated with the community and, and others that can come and actually fulfill those. So there may be some opportunities to list some things on Just Serve and, and people can donate and, and volunteer there as well. So, Yeah, I want to mention something, Doc. So just uh, as a lead up to our conversation today, um, I went on to the website and I, I got to the landing page. By the way, very nice website. I, I love it. Very well, very well put together, easy to navigate. Just yeah, great, great website. Uh, but I, I landed at the uh, video. Um, I, I think you guys called it the PSA or something, you know, uh, video. And uh, I clicked on it. And you know, in our in our day and age, you know, it, it, I'll speak for myself. But one of the first things I do is I look at the length of the video, right, to kind of just get a feel for how long, you know, I'm going to listen or something. So I, I pull up the video, look at the length of it. I think it was 16 minutes and said, oh, well, I'll just, you know, let me let, let me just watch it for a minute or two. And at least I've got, I can share with Doc that I, I watch the video and get, get a get a flavor for what you guys are all about. I, wa- I, I think I, I watched it for probably 14 or 15 minutes. I got through all four of the, the foundation members or the, you know, the groups that you guys are supporting. And I would just encourage anybody that is listening, go on to their website, find that video. It's 15 or 16 minutes long, and it will, 
it'll give you the motivation that you need to know that you are supporting a really phenomenal organization. So um, I just wanted to throw that plug out for you because that was a very, very well done video. It really just encapsulates you and your story and your mission and the, the work that the foundation is doing. So uh, hopefully everyone can go check out that video. I, I promise it's well worth your time. I could not have asked for a better compliment. That is honestly an internal, it, was it too long? Was it too long? Is it good enough? Like we knew it was great, right? We wanted to push it out. We thought it was too long, but we everyone had so much to share. And this is all so new and so impactful. Thank you for that. That was that was awesome. You answered a lot of internal questions. So that was awesome. Yeah, cool. Very cool, man. Yeah, it's great. Great video. And I, I love how you guys described in that video, the pivot that you made right from, you know, you, you were wearing, you know, 20 different hats and doing all this stuff and trying to coordinate care with all your, you know, wounded, you know, men and women. And, and then you, you just came to a turning point where you just had, you know, you, you envisioned doing something greater and that's it sounds like that's when you pivoted to you know turning it into a foundation you know uh selecting the four recipients of the foundation and and then moving into this this new model that you guys have adapted is that kind of a fair statement that's extremely fair yes that's exactly spot on cool very cool well doc we've got a little bit of time left here um Let's spend a couple minutes and just kind of tell us about uh, what's what's on the horizon for for Doc and your family. What's on the horizon for the you know your foundation and what's on the horizon for your uh, consulting company? Again, thanks, guys. This is fun. I get to <laughs> I get to flex my muscles and kind of you know share stuff. I would say let's start with family. So I get to brag about my family this year. I have a um, so Madeline's our fourteen year old. She's high school. Lacey is, uh, she's an amazing competitive dancer. Uh, Lacey's 13. She's in middle school. uh, Our seven-year-old Vivian, she's a dancer as well, competitive dancer. Um, She's in elementary school. And our son Vance is four, almost five, and uh, he's about to start kindergarten. So it's just, it's just amazing. You know, Uh, my wife is beautiful, gorgeous, and we're better now than we've ever been before. And God has just blessed us immeasurably. It's, It's hard as a family. It's just great. We attend uh, Mountain Park Church in Ahwatukee. It's, it's our home church. Um, we love the, it's a very community-based church. It's small, but it's not too big. It's just right. And they have an amazing programs. Um, I've been a part of men's ministry there for about six or seven years. And just some of the relationships with some of the other guys in the community that want to work on themselves, grow, and be better husbands, fathers, and uh, community members. So um, big part, the church is a big part of our life. Uh, me personally, I've got a book coming out called Nonprofit Suck. Now, after that amazing <laughs> plug that you just gave, I hope you guys understand Suck is an acronym. There's three S's, three U's, three C's, and three K's. So Nonprofit Suck, a love letter to future founders. I want the future founders of the nonprofits of the world serving communities later in life that haven't been born yet uh, or birthed yet for those founders to read this book and realize what they can do right and what they can do wrong, learning from my mistakes and my successors, right? So it's really just a love letter to future founders or really any nonprofit executives out there that are trying to grow their nonprofit or they want to do something a certain way. There's really no right way or no wrong way. Um, 
but there are mistakes that they can make. And, and I want them to learn from my mistakes. Um, not to say I made a whole bunch of them to make a book. There's a lot of amazing success as well. And so I want to give those little nuggets of wisdom to the future founders of the world through this book. I don't have the exact date yet, but it should be out this summer and I'm super pumped for it. Consulting. So let's get back to Taylor and Lawrence. It's so new and it's such a startup that I don't know what direction it's going, but I can say that it's going up right now because the team is, is, is building. We're getting, the phones are, are ringing. A lot of people are finding us through like LinkedIn is a really great way for people to find us and, and network. I think that our, our team of interns right now are really going to pave the way forward for the part-timers and the full-timers that are, that are short, shortly to follow. So really excited about Taylor and Lawrence, the growth that's currently taking place. And I have nothing but um, love and gratitude for the current team of, of college interns. And these interns aren't just interns. They're not just students. They're, they're on the dean's list, 4.0 grad students. These are awesome, amazing human beings. And they're taking Taylor and Lawrence to the next level. And then back to Wings for Warriors Foundation. Again, it's kind of new and fun as well. And um, with people like yourself, shows like this and getting a lot of community love and support, uh, we're just going to keep, keep crushing away and helping the veterans and first responders that we aim to serve. Sounds like you got a lot going on and uh, you got double the amount of kids that I have. So uh, I, I know you're busier than, than I am probably. Keeps me out of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I tell you, you, you talk about, you know, you started talking about your kids and, you know, you start giving the names and the ages and I'm thinking, girl, girl girl, you know, and it's, you did finally throw the boy in at the end, which, you know, it's not about boys or girls. It's just that I'm in the middle of a 17 year old girl finishing her senior year of high school and getting ready for college and all of the stress that comes with that. And I think it was so easy with my son, who's a sophomore finishing his sophomore year at Arizona state. It was just so much easier with him for me. Right. It might have been more difficult for my wife, but it was easier for me. And just, you know, three girls in a row, I think you, you got your work cut out for you. Not to scare you off, but it uh, it gets harder before it gets easier. <laughs> uh, now he's sweating. Look at this guy. He's sweating. He's worried about things. He came in here all happy-go-lucky, and now he's walking out the door sweating. Right, well, sounds right. like he said 17, so I've got Maddie's 14, so we've got three more years with her, four years with Lacey, and then an additional seven with Vivian. So some of these great, not all of these hairs are gray, but is that where they come from? Oh, yeah. The girls? <laughs> yeah. I I'm just glad to have somebody else on the show that doesn't have a full head of hair. <laughs> I am outnumbered today, but it's all good. <laughs> Well, Doc, we, we really appreciate the conversation. I think that we've covered some really important things. We know for sure that you've got a great foundation that our listeners should be supporting, that we want to support. We want to stay in touch with you as you as you continue to grow Taylor and Lawrence and, and obviously be involved with Wings for Warriors as well. Um, is there anything else besides, and we want you to go, you know, website, all those sorts of things, but anything besides the web address and how to get a hold of you that our audience you think should know? I'm on social media, just like all of you. And uh, I'm a human being, just like all of you. So feel free to connect. I mean, that's what it's for. And um, there's, you know, like LinkedIn and Facebook, I'm almost maxed out. But you can still follow me if you'd like to to be a part of my little world. And um, I'm pretty active on Twitter as well. So yeah, I mean, just however the listeners want to connect with me, they're more than well, uh, welcome to do so. Great. Yeah. So give us the website for for Wings for Warriors and Taylor and Lawrence. So Wings for Warriors is wingsforwarriors.org. 
Taylor and Lawrence is taylorandlawrence.com. And if you want to learn a little bit more about me and the keynote speaking that I do on the side, it's anthonydocamin.com. Great. Thank you so much. We really appreciate the conversation. Look forward to, to watching your organizations flourish over the years to come. God bless all of you guys. Really appreciate it today. Yeah, thank Thanks you. a lot, Doc. Thank you. You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, proudly hosted by Austin Peterson and Landon Mance. Austin and Landon are comprehensive financial planning professionals specializing in financial, estate, and succession planning for small business owners. Austin and Landon have offices in Scottsdale, Arizona, and Las Vegas, Nevada, and represent clients in 14 states throughout the country. Join Austin, Landon, and the Featured Tycoons live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. right here on Business Radio X and your favorite podcast platform.